0: Conducting clinical trials is a huge undertaking for researchers. Both financially and logistically, research requires large amounts of time and resources. To ease this burden and provide tools and resources, there are research cores, centers that provide shared resources and access to key technologies. Of the many research cores at Brigham and Women's Hospital, Sudeshna Fish led the Cardiovascular Physiology Corps. Earlier this year, Dr. Fish spoke with Think Research about the unique offerings of the Cardiovascular Physiology Corps that assist with animal model testing for therapies and devices. Sudeshna Fish is now the Director of Precision Medicine at Pfizer. So Dr. Fish, welcome to Think Research. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Brendan, for having me. So you're the Associate Director of the Cardiovascular Physiology Corps at Brigham and Women's. The core provides services for researchers conducting clinical trials. I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about what the core does, um, you know, and maybe why it's unique.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, so the cardiovascular physiology core, as you can tell from the name, we are primarily focused on the cardiovascular effects of say a particular therapy or a device can have in, in the drug development process. So it basically where, where we're sitting as a core is a preclinical end of the um, clinical spectrum. Um So we mostly do preclinical work, uh, ex vivo work, which means like outside of body, like cells, um, assays. But our goal um, is interaction with as many stakeholders and clients as we can across academia, the breadth of industry, Globally, actually, different countries um, uh, and other institutions that are our clients, they all essentially come to us for our expertise, both intellectual and service related to understanding how a say a specific therapy can be fed into a clinical trial
0: there's you know if you look at all the research cores in the mass general Brigham system, there are many, many different research cores with different focuses and you are focused on cardiovascular physiology, um, And besides that focus, what makes you unique in the universe of research cores at the Brigham?:
1: Great question. I love that question because there's so many ways I can answer that. <laughs> and the, the, the truth of the matter is we have at the mass General Brigham system, just within the system, there's over 500 research cores. But if you look each and that one of them up individually, and I have done because I'm part of this broad core consortium, um, each of them have their specific niche capabilities, right? Um, for example, a genomics core would do genomics. Um, a you know uh, they would do a, a sequencing core would do a lot of sequencing. What we can do <laughs> is essentially take a Therapy or a device that wants that needs to be developed from being tested at a cellular level. If we want, if somebody comes to us, we have the capacity to do a whole pipeline of services leading all the way up to an animal model. In fact, two animal models, in fact, three animal models. That we there is no other core who has the breadth of in vivo meaning animal model expertise um, to push these therapies or devices into development. Also, many of the cores existing, they don't have necessarily the kind of surgical capability sometimes you need to establish a disease in house, so meaning you know, in order to study disease, you have to mimic the disease somehow, and you need to be able to mimic the disease using the existing animals that you have under your protocol. And our protocol, animal protocol, is so overarching, and I wrote those, so I know that we have the capacity to incorporate whatever's thrown at us to get to that next stage of clinical trial. Um, and and then I think what 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 differentiates that from all of these is that our niche um, is physiology, meaning physiology means everything. It could mean from cells. It could mean biochemical. You could have cell assays. You can biochemical assays. And there are cores that are sometimes designed just for one thing and not the other. But we can do it all, including all the way to postmortem, right? Histology, which is sort of the gold standard. Can you... Do the pathology? Can you tell us what this particular disease tissue, um, what stages this disease is? So we have that. And I think I think that's the, the breadth of expertise we bring. I have not seen another core that is able to do all the things we do. There are parts of what we do maybe mimicked at other cores. Um, but we we are a one-stop shop. And I had a recent course fair, I remember using the same analogy and other people picked up on it saying, oh, that's good, right? Because there's not too many that can be defined. And all of these um, services we offer, um, they're, they're laid out on our website. So anybody uh, with access um, or none, you know, you don't have to sign up. It's free. You just go to the website and see what the services are available, but just not services. It's also people. It's also intellect,
0: so, how did you become the associate director of this core? Tell us. Tell me about your career path and how you kind of found yourself in this position.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, um, Brennan. There's many paths of a PhD scientist, and some are less known than others. Perhaps the um, leadership at a core is not the uh, first thing that comes to mind when you do a PhD, but Uh, What I knew from the beginning, I was really interested in people, in human relations and strategic alliances that center around a core science, you know, like like a topic of science. Mm -hmm. My expertise is cardiovascular. I was at the Broad Institute doing a lot of high-throughput screening of small molecule therapeutics, and when I was at the Broad Institute, I realized, oh, wow, I mean we could do this kind of huge scale up of all these small molecules but then what do you do with these compounds where do they go from here and the answer lay in the fact that the next step from the small molecule screening is finding the leads lead compounds that then get tested in animals but Broad at the time i was there did not have an animal facility i think it has now But so when I was offered a faculty uh, position by my uh, director, um, Dr. Rongli Liao, um, I just said, oh my God, I, I, I just love this opportunity to run the operations where I could take these therapeutics that have gone through this process and test in animals and be able to, you know, design the disease uh study the model to do all of the aspects of a study design and to take it to its you know logical conclusion which would be to feed into some md who's interested in running a trial you know or an institutional trial or reach an industry maybe an industry wants to partner Mm. for this compound Um, so it seemed like a very natural progression for me because i also enjoy interacting with people and in this position You have the dual role of bringing in clients, managing clients, and the clients are the MDs, the PhDs, um, and not just in the institution, you know, across the Charles River and across the nation. Um, And you have to be able to communicate with them, explain to them, um, and manage their expectations and be able to deliver... The services that you promise at the beginning, so it's kind of like a business side to the science. It that really appeals to me because um, instead of only focusing on getting funds for mm-hmm. grants and other things, you can also sort of feed into this translational component, which has always interested me.
0: You know, a lot of people we talk to are physician scientists and it's like they have a discovery or they saw something in clinic that they wanted to address and then they kind of come up with the idea and then they go back and try and figure out what the compound is going to be or what the treatment is going to be or the procedure. But it's like, it almost sounds like you're doing it from the other way. You're like, or at least at the the work at the Broad was finding the compound and then saying like, hey, we found this thing. Do you guys want to Try and develop this into a drug that could help people, and so I wonder how you think about the flow of knowledge or the flow of research in that sense.
1: Yeah, no, I I think that's very, and I'm I'm an academic at heart. Um, I guess you know I really like the approach uh, of knowledge gathering uh, from your experience of having worked in certain areas I mean I I believe in domain expertise I do because it's important to understand something like if I didn't do small molecule screening I would not know what that's about right having done it I developed a knowledge base where I could say well you know this is how compounds are probably getting to the market except the the, the piece of missing puzzle for me was the animals, right? Which I had worked on as a postdoc. I was a postdoc at Harvard Medical School under an incredible um, PI who was an MD, a physician scientist. So I trained with a physician scientist. So I knew what the psychology of a physician scientist would be, would be, can we take a particular target um, um, or, or a therapy? It could be a target or a therapy, or can we connect the dots between the target and the therapy are, you know, something very translational. So I was trained that way. And um, when I went to the Broad, I was trained in a little bit different way, right? So I could then combine the two and say, well, you know, then I need to put in the this box off, make sure that it's safe. It's not toxic. And it's uh, it's following the mechanism, right? Which you need to get to the proper drug development process. So I'm I'm interested in the academic approach to flowing the knowledge from what we learn at the bench to the bedside. It's 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 extremely important to me. I'm passionate about that. But but it's not it's not easy to do because you can't be every everything for everybody, you know? You can't do preclinical and then you do high throughput. You know, that's why you need teams, right? You need teams to work on this kind of a flow. And I think, you know, I'm just basically managing the inflow into the pipeline. And uh, as long as I can do that well, and these physician scientists that I interact with are satisfied with the product that they're getting from us, then I think we have a, we have a good academic approach to translation, you know?
0: When did you get this position? And when did you kind of realize like, oh, this is where I want to be? This is the type of work that I want to do?
1: You know, that's a that's a hard question. When did I realize? I mean, I knew in intrinsically when I was offered the position that this was a good fit. Mm. Um, I had a very good feeling about the fit with my 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 boss. She's um, a formidable lady, a woman boss. I never had a woman mentor before. Um, so and it was a really fit for the environment. It's also remember the environment. I was trained in right, right at the same place. Right. So I felt very comfortable coming mm. back to that institution. I felt very comfortable working in very large organizations um, because I'm comfortable being, you know, wherever you put me, decide to put me <laughs> so in a large organization. There's, there's a lot of different ways you can go. So I was very comfortable in those relationship building that was required initially to build this core to where it is today. Um, and I think that was the primary reason why my uh, advisor and uh, my, my my director chose me. She was also my collaborator mm. on um, on my postdoc project. So she used to be at BU. I used to be at Harvard, oh, wow. we connected, and she kept in touch. So basically, it was a relationship that led to this point. And I think that's important because ultimately, skills are always there. Um, you know, you amass them over your time you know, that you are. But I think the relationships are really what get you to where you want to be. And I think um, at the point where I came in 2012, which is when I started, um, I was going to a deep personal crisis. My, my mom passed away and um, it was a, it was a, it was a, you know, difficult time. It's a bicontinental living, right? So my mom was in India, you know, and so my my mentor, my 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 boss here, was extremely supportive, and I think that sort of also sealed the deal because I'm also looking for real, authentic relationships in my job, um, and I I felt very comfortable um, managing all the things she threw at me, mm. um, knowing that she would have my back and. You know, and she knew that I was going to get it done. So it was a, just a great team, you know, that I could be part of. And every single person is um, uh, that that's part of my team is is is, is thinks similarly. So that really helps. It's very cohesive. Um, so I have not experienced any you know uh, deep division. But there's always, like I said, mini fires that I put out every day work-wise. <laughs> um, but they're all like small stakes fires.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, so. To kind of close, what yes. advice do you have for uh, researchers that are thinking about, you know, maybe what they want to do, maybe not sure what path they want to take? Um, do you have any advice for for somebody like that?
1: Um, absolutely. Um, first of all, I, I love uh, mentoring young people. So if anyone's listening who has question about different career paths um, feel free to look me up. Um, I'm on LinkedIn Uh, but the main thing I would say is not all of us know what we want when we set out after our PhDs and I think that's okay. Um, It's okay to explore different passions, different paths um, and to be able to understand who you are um, in the spectrum of your career, your personal life, um, and all of that combined is critical to your success as a researcher or a, either in the industry or in academia or in any job choice, really. So I would say if you've done a postdoc, I mean, your, your options uh, become limited, right? Because if you've done a postdoc, you're kind of like going in for the academic uh, ladder, but things are changing. I mean, there are many paths to career success. You can go into innovations, you can go into business development, you can go into consulting, um, you can go into patent law if you really enjoy discerning language. Or you can you know, do research core uh, leadership positions and, and take on leadership positions with your domain expertise. And there's, believe me, there's a lot of need for uh, smart young brains in many different facets of life, especially with healthcare being the number one industry in this country, uh, there's, there's a lot of opportunities. So you gotta go get them.
0: Thank you, Dr. Fish for joining us. It was a pleasure to have this conversation with you.
1: Thank you so much, Brendan, for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you.
0: Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, Please rate us on iTunes and help us spread the word about the amazing research taking place across the Harvard community. To learn more about the guests on this episode, visit our website, catalyst.harvard.edu slash thinkresearch.